Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my top 10 new September movies in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? The further we get into the year, and and this will probably roll over into January and February as well, uh, these lists are going to start to uh, be a lot more, have a lot more recency bias. Uh, That's just kind of partly, uh, you know, Oscar contenders, awards contenders are coming out this time of the year. And I'm also catching up on anything that, you know, missed theaters or was in limited release and I didn't get to see it. Uh, and that's so, so half of today's list is a 2018 movie. And that's uh, probably going to be the, um, the, 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 what word am I looking for here? Uh, that's probably going to be the rule of thumb going forward for these lists for the next few months, at least. Uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe that won't happen. Uh, you know, maybe you know, I will get to see some some more incredible old movies uh, in in this interim. But uh, for now, it looks like you know September five of the top ten are twenty eighteen, and currently looking at where twenty eight uh, where October is at. Uh, top five movies in October are all from 2018 so far, but again, it's it's fairly early, so there's a lot that can change between now and then. So, that being said, um, this is this is a very different list than most of the other months. Though there's no Kurosawa, uh, there, there's there's not there's only one movie rated above an 80. So a lot of strong movies, a lot of good movies in this month's list. Uh, but none of them ever, most of them did not really cross over that 80 benchmark for me. Uh, and we'll kind of get into that as we talk about them. So uh, let's let's jump into this. And uh, these are going to be, and we'll, we'll start with my number 10 in this month's, in September's, top 10 new movies. Countdown 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Number 10, the only foreign language film on this month's list. I saw it September 24th, 2018. It's about 96 minutes long, a little over an hour and a half. Um, My brief summary is, after being arrested for possession, a man suffers in prison. I gave this film a 74 out of 100. It has a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. And... Uh, and that movie is On My Skin, um, or Sola Mia Pelle, uh, directed by Alessio Cremonini, Cremonini, who I have not seen a previous film from. It, it is an Italian film uh, being released from Netflix. I believe it's still on Netflix if you live in the United States. And it stars Alessandro Borghi, Max Tortora, Milvia Margliano, and Jasmine Trinka, among others. And uh, the summary, that's pretty much the entire duration of the film. Uh, so very early on, uh, Borghi's character Stefano Cucci 
is arrested for a minor crime, and we then follow, you know, the the next, you know, first four fifths of the film follow him from that moment until he, uh, from to him getting, being arrested, and the awful conditions that he lives in in prison, uh, and and in detention. Uh, he, you know, his crime is is minor, uh, and might even be. You know, less than that. Uh, it's it's very painful to to watch as he succumbs and suffers all of these various uh, not not attacks, but just oppressing um, presences from the police, from other uh, prisoners, and and from from himself. You know, he is constantly uh, struggling to keep his head above water because he spends so much time uh, you know uh, succumbing and enduring this this brutality and meanwhile we were watching all these characters all these peripheral characters characters around him uh, see this you know we see him kind of enter the frame with a bloody lip, a bruised face, you know, he limps, he's skinny, he's losing weight, and, and all these different elements that are happening to him. And everyone sees it, everyone notices it, a lot of people ask him about it, and he just kind of ignores them, he kind of shrugs it off, and they do, don't do anything about it. And it's, you know, this is, you know, I, I mentioned in my letterboxd review you know it's a case study in brutality and turning a blind eye and that's pretty much the the grand sum of the thing it's based on a true story you know it, it really did happen this this man stefano cucci was arrested for this crime he was um painfully abused uh whether by him you know by himself or, or by others or or by the by police or you know by the people holding him or the people he was in with you know we're not exactly sure of the specifics but uh, we see the result and clearly something was very very wrong and not many no one really did anything about it uh the other aspect of the film we get to see his family uh they are suffering too you know they're going through this as he's going through this they see him they don't know why things are so bad uh you know he he's got kind of a history that they're aware of as you know someone who's been involved with drugs uh you know he's been trying to do better but you know still not cap not fully capable of removing himself from the from the system that he's been kind of stuck in for so long and uh it's they kind of try to do everything they can you know i mentioned four fifths the movie is is him in prison and the last fifth is mostly just his his family trying to uh, come to terms with with this awful situation and you know try to fix it and try to try to bring figure out why he was being so hurt and damaged and and fi and, and fix uh, not fi uh, uh, bring justice to those who who deserve it and who who harmed him and it's a pretty pretty bleak story <laughs> uh it's not 
you're not going to come out of this feeling feeling happy and as if as if uh, there is is good in the world necessarily, but it is a very well told story. It is a powerfully acted story. Alessandro Borgi is is incredible in the lead role. It reminded me of uh, Michael Fassbender in um, uh, the the Steve McQueen movie Hunger. Uh, in a way, in ways, uh, just the the performances are both so so powerful, so strong. I do think the movie's a little long. Uh, it's it's barely over an hour and a half, but it is a little long. You know, we do spend a very long amount of time just kind of watching Borgi and and seeing him injured, seeing him hurt, seeing him confused and and uh, displaced from uh, his his old life. And I think after a point, it becomes repetitious i think you could have could have squeezed those those parts together a little bit more maybe shown us something some more uh family elements outside of him in prison uh maybe shown i don't know give us a little bit more uh, perspective on everything else you know i think we have more than enough moments of him traumatized and him damaged and the movie really lays that on heavy uh more than is necessary in my opinion but On My Skin is a very good movie. It is a tough watch, but it is based, it's true. You know, it's a very true story, and I think one that's worth seeing and is on Netflix. So you have no excuse not to watch it. So that's On My Skin, number 10 in September, with a 74 rating. Moving on to number 9. Uh, this is a. This is a movie I'd had on my watch list at for a while, um, and uh, you know my watch list is extremely long, and I, I really couldn't tell you what's on it or isn't on it right now. Anyway, but it had been on my watch list for a while. A friend of mine uh, recommended it and and brought it up and, and mentioned it, and so I, I took took the initiative and sought it out to watch it. So I saw this movie September twenty sixth, two thousand and eighteen. About 85 minutes long, very short, uh, from 2007. And my summary, a man preparing to move tells his friends that he's been alive for tens of thousands of years. I gave this movie 75. It has no Rotten Tomatoes score as of the moment. And that is The Man from Earth. The Man from Earth. Uh, Directed by Richard Shankman, uh, who is... Mm, not really directed anything else besides the sequel to this movie. Uh, starring David Lee Smith, Tony Todd, John Billingsley, Ellen Crawford, Anika Peterson, Richard Reel, among others. And the premise, it's very much exactly what, what, it's, uh, what I said. You know, he, uh, David Lee Smith plays a professor in the movie. He is leaving, retiring, moving away. Uh, and there's kind of this goodbye party for him with all of his colleagues. And he finally kind of, as they're leaving, tells them, you know, I don't I don't age. And I've been alive for 14,000 years. And his colleagues are all professors uh, in their own right. They are uh, professors of history, of, of religion, of, of 
um, art and and so on and so forth you know biology anthropology archaeology psychiatry you know it's it's extensive there are a wide range of professions uh, perfectly suited perfectly suited for a movie and story such as this and what starts out as a, a farce in you know in with with one or maybe two characters there kind of like entertaining this this notion uh, slowly becomes a lot more than that it it turns into well shit maybe maybe this is this is real you know how the, the i think it's brought up at one point in the film you know there's really no way to prove or disprove what he's saying you know it's it's con- you kind of have to go on judgment you know do you trust this guy who's giving these vague but very accurate answers and and in and fascinating um looks into you know the history of humankind uh is is he capable of of pulling the wool over the eyes for so long and and so on and so forth and you know that's a good question right that's a great question because it's you know i don't know like if i was approached by a person such as this someone who i'd known for quite some time someone i respect and understand to be a competent and capable person without any histories of mental illness and and you know someone i think understands the world and and how it works and and you know if they told me what uh, what John explains in this movie, I don't know. You know, I, I, you know, I think I'd be in the camp of like, well, I need real proof, right? I need real evidence. I need something that can kind of confirm one way or the other whether or not this is the truth. And I think until I got that, I wouldn't be able to buy into it completely. I would, and en- I would entertain the the thought experiment for sure and, and I would love the thought experiment and I love listening to the conversations that are had in this movie I think they're brilliantly written and I think that it it, it really does take you down a path that feels authentic that feels natural you know the progression of the conversations from this is a joke to you know at least let's hear him out let's you know, let's attack him from this angle, from that angle, from this, that, the other. Uh, I love that. I love that so much. But as much as I I believed him for the most part in the movie, if it were happening to me in real life, I would want to believe it. But I, I don't know that I could ever get there without hard, concrete evidence, which... The movie does not ever give because you know there's no way to prove that anyway. Uh, so uh, that said, um, you know I think you have a great supporting cast around David Lee Smith as John, who is, you know, it's a very subdued movie. You know, there's not a lot of excitement. There's not screaming. There's not yelling or crying very much. Uh, you know, parts spotches uh, patches of it here and there, but. It's, um, you know, it's all these people, these professors, like they, it just, it just feels like you're, you're a fly on the wall in the hearth of this home. 
and nothing ever seems out of place, nothing ever feels strained or forced, and, you know, I, I enjoy a good, you know, bottle movie or, you know, a movie such like The Sunset Limited, where it's literally just people talking in a room or a house for an hour and a half, and I got that out of this movie, and it's written well enough that I, I was engaged, I was uh, enraptured by it for the most part, uh, you know, my my I guess my biggest critique is that the movie goes to the exact place I thought it would and that I wanted it to, and that's fine, uh, but it's not huge, you know, it doesn't have that big ending, in my opinion, it, it tries at it, but I think it, it just kind of falls ever so short, in a sense. Uh, but but you know it's not I, I don't I don't really criticize the film that much it 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 does exactly what it sets out to do it presents this thoughtful science fiction premise and kind of walks it to its inevitable conclusion and it does it competently it does it um, nicely and and you end up with a very strong movie with a strong cast and and um, a satisfying ending, and that's that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much the straightforward of it. So, the man from Earth, uh, Richard Shankman. You know, I mentioned the cast. You know, most of these people haven't really been in much else. Uh, David Lee Smith has eight film credits on Letterboxd. Uh, the other ones I've seen are A Walk to Remember, Mysterious Skin, and Fight Club. Uh, but he's not exactly you know, the biggest name in the world. Richard Real is the only person in the movie that I recognized um, while watching it, uh, who's been in a hundred, over a hundred movies, including Office Space, uh, Casino, Bridesmaids, The Fugitive, um, Glory, Free Willy, uh, etc. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm big fan of this movie. I really liked it. It, it really scratched that itch uh, of mine, sort of, sort of looking for a film about the verbose, and I, I'm very pleased, very pleased, very pleased. So that's the Man from Earth, number eight in September, uh, with a 75 overall. Moving on to number eight, uh, as we stay in the non 2018 film range. Uh, this is a film I saw September 1st, 2018, very first day of the month. Just under two hours at 116 minutes. It's a film from 1999. Uh, my brief summary, an ambulance paramedic fights to maintain his sanity. I gave this film a 75, and it has a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. So the same score as The Man from Earth, just a slightly better. Uh, well, at least it has a tiebreaker as opposed to The Man from Earth. Uh, it is directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Nicolas Cage, Patricia Arquette, John Goodman, Ving Rhames, Tom Sizemore, Mark Anthony, Cliff Curtis, uh, Nestor Serrano, uh, Queen Latifah, Michael Kenneth Williams, and others. And that is Bringing Out the Dead. Bringing Out the Dead. Uh, the movie follows Nicolas Cage, who is a paramedic, and... He, we got kind of follow him for about two days or so, a little over two, about two days, and we just kind of feel him take everything in. 
right? Uh, he wants to leave his job. He tries to quit at the very beginning of the movie. He's tried to get fired. He calls in sick. He, um, you know, he, he just, he cannot quit it. You know, the boss won't fire him. He can't bring himself to, to stop doing what he's doing. Uh, you know, he rescues people. He saves lives pretty much for a living. And, you know, I think you you present this this situation and i think a lot of people you do go to this sort of inner conflict of that sort of a profession where you're doing something that is so amazing so incredible so powerful so meaningful in the world as saving lives and and helping people literally uh all you know every other second you could be saving a different person and Yet, at the same time, you know, that is the, has to have the most weight, the most pressure, the most uh, crushing uh, heaviness on your shoulders and neck as you know that if it wasn't for you, you know, these people may not survive and that there are times where you won't be enough to save them. And that's terrifying, right? Uh, to know, you know, if you go to a scene, if you answer a call, and there's two people dying, and you can only pick one, or if you end up, you know, needing to do this exact specific thing, and you don't actually, you don't get to that point, you never do that thing, and that person dies in your arms, you know, you see a lot of destruction, a lot of damage, a lot of you know, fire and brimstone and, and pain when you do a job like this by necessity. And you have this very strange and, and fascinating dichotomy with, with a film like this and with a character like this as Nicolas Cage is suffering. He is, he is suffering, you know. He sees all of the people that he fails to save you know, as these ghosts, as these apparitions, he, you know, he, he doesn't want to be a part of this world anymore, because it it just, it's too much for, it's overwhelming, it's, it's ruining him mentally, and, and damaging him in that way, and I, I think it's, it's really brilliant the way Scorsese depicts this, you know, you, you get the same sort of voiceover tricks that he uses in other films uh, perfectly here with, with Cage. Um, you know, he, he, he counter, uh, uh, counterbalances the voiceover uh, in, in a sort of montage fashion with just these brilliant visual decisions uh, that, that really are provocative, that... that make you think and wonder, you know, is this what the average paramedic goes through? Uh, how, how can, how does a paramedic live with these choices and decisions that they make, the people that they've saved, the people that they've lost? Uh, you know, how do you save more people than you lose? Uh, you know, how many people die in the back of your ambulance because you weren't fast enough? Because you weren't fast enough it's got to be 
a non-zero number. And I think that a lot, I think there's definitely a case to be made that people are going to internalize that, right? You internalize it, you blame yourself for it. You think, I should have done better, I can do better, and next time I will do better. But then it happens again, because it's always going to happen. You cannot be perfect in that line of work. You, you just can't. You, you, get, you, know, it's, it's, you get into that line of work, you have to know, you have to know <clears throat> that it's that it's very dangerous and that you're going to see people die and that you can't save everyone. So what so what do you do? So so Scorsese presents this this dichotomy. He presents this inner conflict beautifully. Uh, he gets a fantastic performance out of Nicolas Cage. You know, it has a pretty sizable cast, and, and you know, Sizemore, Goodman, Rames, they're all great. Uh, Patricia Arquette, they're all great uh, supporting characters, supporting actors in this movie. And, you know, it's just... It's just a, it's just a movie that represents this... <laughs> This, this slow molasses of a world where everything, everything, not just Cage, not just the people they're saving, not just his partners at various points in time, but everybody is kind of dark, gloomy. It, it you know, it feels like a, I don't know, it feels like you, you're living in Gotham City almost. You know, everything is dark and trashy and murky and you wonder if if you know the sun ever rises in this fucking city it's it's tough you know i've seen that was my 23rd scorsese film that i'd seen uh and it ranks as number 11 out of 23 so somewhere in the middle uh, but definitely i mean a good movie very good movie but that said, you know, like, uh, that's, that's a lot of movies I've seen from a single director. You know, there are very few people I've seen more films from than Scorsese. And for that, more to the point, you know, I, at, after 20 films, you don't really expect to see something, you know, new, right? You know, I mentioned the voiceover. You know, he's done that before. I mentioned the inner conflict. He's done that before. But the visual cues and, and the visual elements of this movie are very different from from the other movies that he's made. You know, he, he's dealt with things like Taxi Driver and the inner conflict of, of silence and, you know, the voiceovers in Casino. But, you know, he... he the color palette, and, I, and you know, stretching the definition of color, the, the palette of this film is... is very distinct from the rest of his his oeuvre and uh i i was there for it you know i i really enjoyed this movie a lot i think it did a great job of showcasing another side to scorsese that i didn't know was there that i hadn't seen before and to get that on the 23rd film from a director 
that's that's impressive. That's really impressive. I'm I'm very. I mean, there's a reason Scorsese is one of my top-rated directors of all time, and uh, he he certainly earns it with Bringing Out the Dead and and so many of the other films that he has made. So, my number eight in September with a 75 overall is Bringing Out the Dead. Bringing Out the Dead. Next up, the you know we go we go further back. We go further back. Uh, I saw this movie September fourth, two thousand and eighteen. It's about uh, two hours and thirteen minutes long, one hundred and thirty three minutes from nineteen sixty four. My summary: A reclusive spinster is tortured by her descent into madness. Gave this film a seventy six. Has an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Robert Aldrich, uh, director of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Kiss Me Deadly, The Dirty Dozen, uh, the original Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds, uh, among others. He's been made made quite a few movies, quite a few movies, starring Betty Davis, Olivia De Havilland, Agnes Moorhead, Joseph Cotton, uh, Mary Astor, Bruce Dern, George Kennedy, among among others. Uh, Big cast, strong cast in the film. And that's Hush, Ellipses, Hush, comma, Sweet Charlotte. Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. Uh, you know, this, uh, this movie that was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Um, editing, original song, score, costumes, production design, cinematography, and Agnes Moorhead for supporting actress. Uh, it, it was a big hit in its day. It is still... Still a taut thriller. It is a a crime, drama, mystery thriller film. Uh, And, you know, Betty Davis plays this reclusive spinster in the South. She is uh, plagued throughout the film by this this horrifying secret that she has about her family. And um, it's it's a very... (laughs) It's a very, you know, almost Hitchcockian film in a way. You know, I, I'm, I, I can't say that that I think it's exceptional. You know, like I said, it's in the '70s, so it's not, it's not a great film, but it's a very good film, and it's very twisty. It's very violent. Uh, it's very visceral. Uh, strong performances. You know, Betty Davis, great at playing this sort of out of her mind old woman i think she she has the perfect eyes for those roles you have moorhead and and de havilland who uh completely uh just control this film from the sidelines almost uh and i i wish um you know i wish we got even more from them (laughs) you know i love olivia de havilland i think she's fantastic but uh, it's it's you know it's it's the Betty Davis movie, right? So the film starts out in the past. Uh, we start in the 1920s uh, with with Betty Davis uh, marrying her her lover. They plan to elope. Uh, you know, in they live in Louisiana, and uh, and uh, it turns out. That uh, the parents, uh, Charlotte's parents, not not too too excited by this this Bruce Dern 
character that, that Betty Davis wants to marry. And uh, so they intimidate him, and he eventually leaves her. So they don't get married. Uh, later, I, I, I think that day, maybe that week, uh, we find that Bruce Dern has been killed. He's been murdered, uh, decapitated, uh, one of his hands cut off, uh, to be discovered by Betty Davis, who becomes traumatized, uh, her dress is bloody, and everyone kind of assumes she did it, right? She kind of walks into that one. Skip ahead 40 years or so, and uh, she still lives in the same place that her family's lived for a long time. Her father died, um, and, and Charlotte thinks her father killed him, all right? But most people think that, that Charlotte did it. Charlotte was the one who killed him. Um, frustrated because he, uh, after, after um, uh, you know, he, he'd been intimidated by Charlotte's father uh, into convincing Charlotte that he no longer loved her. And, you know, Charlotte got upset, you know. She took an axe to him. No worries. So now she lives by herself. She's this crazy recluse. And the Louisiana Highway Commission wants to demolish her house to build a highway. And she refuses to leave. She ignores her eviction notice. Uh, she prevents the demolition crew from doing anything. She fires at the demolition crew with a rifle. And uh, that's when things take their turn. So that's about the first third of the movie. And then we we get we we start to drift into uh the the mystery thriller elements of this film. So you have uh Agnes Moorhead who plays the housekeeper. She is there tending to Charlotte. You have uh Livy de Havilland uh who is Charlotte's cousin. Um who has now become wealthy in her own right, living in New York City, uh, who returns home uh, to help Charlotte fight this highway commission where she resumes a relationship she had from when she was younger with a local doctor. Uh, but as the movie progresses, Charlotte's sanity just completely deteriorates. All right? It's just she's... Uh, she keeps... There's money involved, you know, Charlotte worth a lot of money, she owns this mansion, she's, you know, her family left her everything, pretty much, and uh, the, the longer she goes, you know, she doesn't have a husband, she doesn't have any kids, where does her money go, it's going to go to her family, and uh, meanwhile, you still have, you have um, Mary Astor playing Bruce Dern, who's dead, his wife which is, so Betty Davis was an affair, and, and so you have a, um, um, an insurance investigator still looking into uh, the circumstances of his death, and finally, finally, uh, you have another, you just, it just, everything kind of spirals out of control, all right, I, I, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving pieces. It's a very, you know, intense movie that you have to really pay attention to to follow the plot, to follow the lines, and it it really is 
you know, this this is a very fascinating film because, you know, you look at a movie nowadays where you have a main character who's driven mad or believed to be driven mad or, you know, by, by yourself or by other people or whatever it, it is, and usually one of two things happens, all right? Usually you get to the end of the movie and that person is... Um, proven right all along. They weren't mad. They they were right all along, and they're just being convinced they're mad. Or, uh, which is fine. You know, I like that direction for some movies. Not all of them. I think it's it's a kind of played out trope uh, for the most part because you expect that, right? When you're following a main character that no one believes, you expect them to get their kind of everyone else to kind of get their comeuppance by the end of the film. On the other hand, uh, you may also lead yourself down a path with a character like that where they they are becoming a, a danger to themselves and others and so must be stopped, must be um, prevented from, from furthering the damage. And what I love about Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte is that it manages to find a third route that, that these types of movies generally don't get to uh, because there are so many moving pieces. There are so many moving characters and, and relationships and intermingling and, and weaving that, that's going on that you, as much as you believe that Charlotte is going mad, um, as much as you follow her descent into madness, there's no one on the outside that's saying, we need to help her, right? There's no one on the outside saying, well, this is, we need to get her some help. Uh, this is terrible. Uh, we need to fix what's ever wrong with her. No, 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 no. Everyone else is out for their selves, for themselves. And everyone wants her money. Everyone wants her land, her house, all of this stuff. No one just wants her to be okay. And I thought that that was a very nice twist on on this this premise, and you know it's just it's just a very strong film, uh, great direction from Aldrich. I thought he did a fantastic job, and the cast is great. De Havilland, Moorhead, Davis, Cotton, I thought they were fantastic. So a big fan. I really enjoyed this. Uh, you know, I, I'm Betty Davis. Uh, considered one of the better actors of all time. Uh, this is one that you know really helps push that narrative forward. Uh, I've seen quite a few of her films, and I wouldn't say that I'd put her in that conversation yet. Uh, but I, I need to see more of her works before then. Uh, but this this is a very strong strong case. It showcases some fantastic work from the rest of the cast. Great action, great direction, great cinematography you know it's it's in black and white but it looks beautiful it looks wonderful you know the big house the big sets uh it's it's a gorgeous looking film gorgeous looking film so that's hush hush sweet charlotte number seven from september with a 76 overall dun, dun, dun. number six uh we go back to the current year all right from, i saw this september 10th 2018 it's about 70 minutes long, very short, uh, from 2018. And my summary, stand-up comedy about homosexuality and quitting stand-up comedy. 
Gave it a 76. It currently had a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, starring only Hannah Gadsby is Nanette. So this is a stand-up comedy special. I consider those basically like documentaries almost. Uh, not, not exactly, but in the same vein. And, uh, you know, I, I think... I'd never heard of Hannah Gatsby before I watched this. Okay, you know, apparently she's been a, com an, a she's an Australian comedian. She's been doing this for quite some time, and you know it's on it's on Netflix. You can watch it on Netflix, but I, I found it on on Letterboxd as one of the highest rated films of 2018. It currently has a 4.35 average, which is pretty high. And Hannah Gadsby is hilarious, okay? She is absolutely hilarious. She is poignant. She is current. She is a strong feminist. Um, she is a brilliant comedian with perfect setup, perfect uh, joke construction. And I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You know, it's she. She just completely controls the room, uh, and by the end of the by the end of the the, the set, it's not really co uh, comedy. Eventually, you know, it becomes something so much more, uh, something so much more powerful, so much more impactful, so much more empowering. And I loved that. I loved that transition. I loved how we shift from. Joke, 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 joke. To now is the time that I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with with some really hard hard facts, and you better better listen. You better understand. You better make sense of what I'm saying because this is very important. And you know it gets you know the, the audience cheered, the standing ovation. You know applause, everything, everyone was on every single word she said, and that's well-deserved, incredibly well-deserved. Um, you know, I, I don't know, it's it's a stand-up special comedy, and, uh, you know, she completely deconstructs that aspect of things. Uh, one of my favorite specials, stand-up comedy specials I've seen, and totally, totally deserving a watch. I would highly recommend it. So that's Hannah Gadsby in Nanette, my number six of September, number with a rating of 76 overall. So same rating as Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, but slightly better tiebreaker. Moving on, number five, second half of the list. Um, this one I saw September 26th, 2018. It's also 70 minutes long, so just as long as Nanette, is from 2009. Uh, my summary, an anti-feminist school shooting. Gave this film a 77. It has an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by one of my favorite directors of all time, and that is Denis Villeneuve, uh, director of Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, Sicario, Prisoners, Incendies, Enemy, among others, currently attached to direct Dune uh, for 2020. Um, you know, he is 
you know, one of the hottest directors out there. Uh, big, big fan base. A lot of people love him. And this film is Polytechnic. Polytechnic. Uh, this is a dramatization of um, of a school shooting in 1989, dubbed the Montreal Massacre. It took place in Canada, where several engineering students were murdered. Uh, it just turned out that the murderer was a misogynist who was unstable, and he specifically sought out to kill the female engineering students at this school. Uh, it doesn't really star anybody of note except Evelyn Bruchu, uh, who was in um, not really in any movies necessarily, but she was in uh, that all oh, that, that uh, clone TV show, clone TV show, Orphan Black. She's in Orphan Black, and uh, yeah, so Polytechnic. Polytechnique. It follows two women, for the most part, uh, going about their day-to-day -day life at this school as students, as friends, etc. We also follow the shooter uh, and and his sort of routine. Um, the so so the opening parts of this movie they are fraught with tension. They are, you know, it's, it's, you know, you, you, you watch this movie, you feel it from different angles, you are connected to these different characters, you follow them, um, and Villeneuve presents this, this occurrence, this event, this, this shooting as just almost like a day in the life, right? It feels very natural. It feels very present. And this is a painful thing to, to experience. It's it's heartbreaking to, to feel that way about something so dramatic, something so terrible, something so cruel. And yet, you know, he's able to do that while also showing how it is painful, it is awful, it is is terrible. You know, when you see the shooter enter the, the classroom and tell the students to separate by gender and then tell the men to leave, uh, you know, that is a harrowing, harrowing sequence. You don't want that to happen. You don't, you, you know... For a split second, you know, I'm sitting there saying to myself, like, no, kill both of them equally, <laughs> you know, like, somehow it makes, you know, I mean, it is worse, but but somehow killing the genders equally makes it better, and it doesn't, right? It doesn't do that. Um, but, you know, you can see, you know, this is one of the earlier films that Villeneuve made, you know, you can see later you know, the tension that he's going to come, you know, full circle with in Sicario. You're going to see the the choices being made by people uh, who are not, you know, not necessarily, who are just acting out of uh, self-preservation, acting out of, out of what they think they have to do, like you'll see in Prisoners. Um, 
you know, you know, we focus on these two people and, and, you know, the film is shot in black and white. It looks fantastic in black and white. You know, we get to experience the shooting before the shooting. We build up to it. We see it. We get, and then we go after it. We get to follow it afterwards, which is, in my opinion, the weakest part of the movie uh, is is the is the subsequent fallout after the shooting. But despite that, you know, it's still it's mostly just a letdown because I think the earlier the first two thirds fit are just so much stronger. You know, it's it's this senselessness that the violence uh, that he shows us with violence and how, you know, it, it's not flashy, right? You know, you could definitely make the case that Villeneuve became flashier as he went on, but in Polytechnic, he is very sort of, uh, you know, very straightforward, very... Um, to the point and you know he's not he doesn't have this grand budget like he did in Blade Runner 2049 he's not working with these special effects that he did with with Arrival uh, you know he's not using he doesn't have big name actors in his movies like he's had pretty much since this movie and he's kind of got this bare bones structure and you you watch as he just kind of follows this young man who is very disturbed, uh, who believes that feminists and feminism are his enemies, and he just he just walks in and he pulls out a gun, and these women, um, two of which you've become kind of attached to, two of which you've followed from before this, from the previous day. And it's, it's horrifying. Right? Right? Like, it's, it's scary. And more to the point... You know, we, we get other characters involved in this film as well. Uh, outside of the man, the boy, the boy doing the shooting, uh, there's another boy involved who is helping. And he's kind of has to. Uh, you know, he, he's forced to, by his maybe by, by his own self-preservation and by his own sort of mental justification he's has to do what he does he has to try to help um you know it it sucks you know to see that you know everyone is running away whereas this one kid just doesn't you know he he stays maybe acting against his own self-interest maybe putting himself in danger putting himself at risk and you know he's not doing this because he's a hero you know he's not doing this because you know he's thinking oh man this is this is the right thing to do no it's uh you know he, he just he sees the carnage and the damage and the pain and he has to do something Right, you know, uh, you know, I, I 
definitely feel a connection there. I, I feel, you know, watching these travesties, watching these awful, awful, awful things, like how can you not try to fix them? You know, he he's... He, you know, and Villeneuve displays this so brilliantly, you know, and he's, he's done this in many of his movies where you have a character who is faced with a situation that isn't great and they make a choice and we follow that choice, right? We see where it leads. We see what happens ultimately. Uh, you look at um, Prisoners is probably the best example of this, but Enemy does it pretty well too. Uh you know, you just, you're presented with this almost surreal circumstance, uh, you know, whether it's kidnapping, whether it's finding your, your doppelganger, whether it's witnessing a school shooting, and you decide to confront the thing or run away from the thing. And then what happens when you confront the thing? You know, it's... Polytechnic is, is a very tough film to watch. Uh, you know, it's hard to to imagine, you know, what it would be like to, to be involved in a school shooting if you haven't been. You know, it, it's it's not, it's a, it's, you know, it's one of the, got to be one of the scariest feelings ever. Uh, more so if you're lying on the ground pretending to be dead uh, so and not moving so that you won't be shot a second time or so you won't be shot the first time at all while someone next to you has been shot and is dying and you can't do anything because if you move you might get shot too It's uh, it's not easy, but it's a very good film. It's a very good film. I'm sad it took me so long to finally watch this. Uh, I believe it's the only other feature film from Villeneuve that I hadn't seen, and uh, I really enjoyed it as a film, as a film, obviously. Uh, so, Polytechnic is my number five, and I gave it a seventy-seven. Yes. So, uh, number four, number four, let's move on. Number four, I saw number four on September 4th, 2018. It's 86 minutes, just shy of an hour and a half. It is a 2018 film. And my summary, a manager's optimism is tested over the course of a long day. I also gave this a 77. It has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, so slightly higher tiebreaker. It's directed by Andrew Bujalski who also directed, the only other film I've seen of his that I directed is, uh, that he directed is Results. Um, kind of smaller film anyway. It stars Regina Hall, Haley Lou Richardson, Shayna McHale, Dylan Galula, AJ Michalka, James LaGrosse, Brooklyn Decker, among others. And that is Support the Girls. So, Support the Girls comes to us from Andrew Bajowski and uh, you know Lisa Conroy played by Regina Hall 
is the manager at a highway side, uh, kind of like a Hooters knockoff. The quote, the place is called Double Whammies, and it's considered a sports bar with curves. Uh, So you kind of get the impression at the very onset that this is, you know, kind of a schleazy type of thing. But we quickly meet Lisa as Regina Hall, and we see her interact with her employees, Haley Lou Richardson and Shana McHale, and, and, you know, the new ones that are coming in, and really just shows that she completely cares about these people. She is, she loves them like a mother. She wants the best for them. She treats them well. She respects them. They respect her. And it really is kind of like a family that they've kind of crafted out of nothing, almost. And that is that is the driving force behind this movie. You have Regina Hall, who for a while was on my list uh, of best lead performances of the year. Uh, you have, she just, she, she, the movie follows her and she just really struggles to keep her head above water in every facet of her life at the, at the restaurant, uh, dealing with not only her employees, but her boss, the owner of the restaurant. Then you have, you see her engaged in, Uh, her own situation with her romantic and personal life. Uh, You see her engaging with her employees outside of the work environment and helping them in that way, too. You see her uh, really just trying to do it all and trying to have it all and be successful on every single front, and you really can't, right? It's, It's so difficult to be successful in every possible facet of your life. You know, something almost always falls by the wayside in that sense. And yet, Lisa does everything she can. You know, she's far more successful than most. Uh, you know, things get a, over, go over her head. Things really drown her in time at times. But through all of it, she remains optimistic. She remains... Uh, supportive of the girls and and they in turn are supportive of her and look up to her and and idolize her in a sense you know I, I think the movie does a great job of projecting this really heartfelt emotional core uh, you know the energy coursing through this film is incredibly huge you know it's it's very big and it also happens just happens to have like a lot of real stakes involved you know this is a at times a painful movie and you know i'm looking at like the cover art that letterboxd has and it's like the five or six girls just with these huge smiles on their face and that is such such a facade (laughs) such a facade there's a lot of pain and heartbreak and and a lot of times those smiles in the movie even are masking you know, what's really being felt and what's really going on. And I think it's just presented so beautifully and and so well. And, you know, you have a main character who endures a lot. Uh, You know, the man, the scenes with her, is it husband or boyfriend or whatever? I think husband uh, are just 
gut-wrenching to watch. You know, it's really painful to see them go the direction that they end up going because uh, Regina Hall's character, Lisa is such a great person in this movie and she deserves so much better than this guy who's just kind of bleh, you know, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch uh, as she just kind of suffers and, and endures this awful circumstance that she's in. Uh, sporting cast. Haley Lou Richardson is fantastic. I love her. She was great in Columbus a couple of years ago. And, or is it last year? Uh, and she's absolutely great in this too. As a sporting turn, there's a fantastic moment where Lisa's out back uh, on the phone and she's in, you know, she's in this kind of down moment, this, you know, downbeat, you know, giving her a chance to breathe, giving her a chance to, you know, cut herself off from the hustle bustle of the restaurant. And Haley the Richardson bursts out of the door behind her, sets off like this confetti bomb thing, screams and like just cheers and freaks out and then rushes back inside. It's this perfect moment encapsulated in the film that really does represent what the film does, and it really plays against these two elements of you can have the joy and the excitement and the passion and, and the, the love that, that exists, but you also have to take with it the the morose and, and meandering and downtrodden elements as well, and, and there needs to be space for both of them to coexist, and they don't always perfectly. They don't always work together that well. But uh, Bujalski and and his his actors really push put this movie in a position to succeed. And I think it does. I think it succeeds really well. I don't. I don't know. I I just I really like it. I thought it was fantastic, and I. I not generally a big fan of Regina Hall, uh, but she was fantastic in this. I, I absolutely loved her, and I, I hope I, I want to see more of this from her going forward. So that's Support the Girls from 2018, number four in September, with a 77 overall. We move on to the top three. Another film from 2018, this one I saw September 17th this year. Uh, it's just shy of two hours at 117 minutes. My summary, a dangerous cult spurns a man to get revenge. Gave it a 78. It has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Panos Cosmatos, who is the only film of his I've seen. And it stars Nicolas Cage Andrea Riseborough, Linus Roach, Ned Dennehy, Bill Duke, among others. And that is, of course, Mandy. So, Mandy. A very, very different film from Support the Girls. Uh, second Nicolas Cage film on the list this, this month, uh, which is pretty shocking, you know, given all the reputation that he has he's got two movies on the top 10 in september mandy 
is a very, very strange movie. It takes place back in the 80s. Uh, Nicolas Cage and Andrew Riseborough are married in love uh, and very happy together. And, you know, watching them interact is, is very strange. Uh, but you still feel this, this strong connection between the two of them. And eventually, Linus Roach, who plays Jeremiah Sand, who's the leader of the cult, they end up uh, kidnapping Andrea Riseborough and, and torturing her and, I think, ultimately killing her in front of Nicolas Cage, uh, which really... You know, if you've seen Nicolas Cage do anything, you know, you probably shouldn't. Because even if he can't do anything about it, uh, just the, the, the insane reaction that you get out of him is scary enough. And it's really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, he he turns into this superhuman... Uh, just killing machine that's ends up caked in blood, snarling, wide-eyed for the rest of the movie. Uh, just there's a fight with two people wielding chainsaws at one point. Uh, you know the 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 movie just goes completely off the rails. Uh, you know I was reminded of of uh, Mayhem from earlier this year, which I also really enjoyed. Uh, I like this more actually, but I, I liked both movies, and man, uh, <laughs> Mandy, what do you, what do you, what else is there to say, really, you know, it just, if you want Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage, going completely off the rails, and in a movie that wants him to do that, in a movie that encourages and coaxes him into that personality, this is perfect, uh, it's a, a very amazing journey that that really the, the the decisions made in the film are are off the wall, very distinct and and shocking and jarring at times as we shift from from formats to to cutting away to you know you don't get much time to breathe once Riseborough dies and it just. Cage just anchors the film so, so well. So, so well. Um, so well to the point. Uh, he's he's on the list, right? He is on my he is in my top ten lead performances of the year for this film. Uh, I mentioned on the skin at my number ten, um, Alessandra Borgi is also on the list, top ten lead performances uh, of the year. So, you know, this is uh, yeah, I, I think he's fantastic. I think he's great. And I think he's, you know, it's, it's, he's finally in a film far, much like Matchstick Men, where his eccentricities, where his facial tics, where his insanity can really have a chance to, uh, to breathe and to stretch its wings and exist in a, in a place that, um, deserves it. I think you can find it on Amazon right now. Uh, it's actually playing in a theater near me. I, I didn't see it that way, but you know it's playing in a theater near me. Uh, so check it out. Uh, it's it's a fascinating movie. It is a fascinating movie. Mandy, Nicolas Cage, Panos Cosmatos. Um, that's it though. 
I, I, there's not much else to it. it. It's very straightforward, but it is a quite a fun ride. Uh, so Mandy, number three in September with a 78 rating overall. Moving on to number two, and I've talked about number two already uh, in, in on the podcast, so I won't go too into too much detail here. But number two is another 2018 film. This one I saw September 20th uh, from the year 2018. It is 90 minutes long. My summary, three brothers survive childhood and their parents. I gave this movie a 79. It has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that is We the Animals. Directed by Jeremiah Zagar, starring Evan Rosado, Raul Castillo, Sheila Vand, Josiah Santiago, and Isaiah Christian. You know, I've talked about this already. You follow three kids as they kind of grow up and try to survive their parents and uh, this world that they live in and we follow Jonah, who is not like his brothers, definitely not like his father, but um, suffers at at their hands and, and tries to make his own his own way for himself and and struggles mightily in the process. Um, we the animals is a good movie, a very good movie. It was. The book is written by Justin Torres, who I met personally. Uh, He signed a copy of the book, of his book for me. I'm very happy for him. I I thought the book's fantastic. The film uh, is very good. I I think, you know, like any adaptation, things are lost and gained in translation. And, uh, you know, getting a a cohesive and, and meaningful film out of a book written in the way that We the Animals is written... I'm very impressed by Jeremiah Zagar and, and his ability and um, Daniel Katrasser, the two who are two the, the two credit screenwriters. Very impressed by their ability to to succeed in that instance. The film goes to different places and takes on different meanings and involves animation and, and very odd uh, um, what what was the what would be the word? Um, I don't know. You know, there's scenes where Evan Rosado kind of flies, and like that's very strange. And, and a lot of things take on these fantastical moments and fantastical meanings. And uh, for better, you know, for better, I think it, it adds to the layers that the film has. You know, and on the surface, it's a very straightforward direction. And I think these additional flares and and dis- choices give it that extra oomph to make it something that you can really discuss and talk about and wonder well why would they do this or why would they do that or what does this mean or what's the significance or, or so on and so forth so i i really like we the animals i had a really good time watching it and uh, it's a rough movie it's a kind of a heartbreaking movie but it is it is powerful and it is strong and it is well made and uh, I'm, I'm very impressed by it. Um, very impressed by it. I, I wish the best for Justin Torres. So, We the Animals, my number two from September with a 79 overall. So, moving on. Number one, I mentioned at the start, one film 
this month, made it above the 80 point mark in my rating scale. Uh, and that is this final movie. It's the only one that did it. I saw this September 11th, 2018. It's about 105 minutes, so an hour and 45 minutes long. The year that it was released is 1956. Uh, summary, an innocent man is accused of being an armed robber. I gave the film an 86, so pretty big s separation between this and the rest of the films on the list. It has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Alfred Hitchcock. And it stars Henry Fonda, Vera Miles, Anthony Quayle, Charles Cooper, among others. And that is The Wrong Man. The Wrong Man. Alright? Fairly straightforward and obvious setup. Alright? So I mentioned Henry Fonda plays, you know, this very straight, very goody-two-shoes kind of an actor. And he, he hits that role a lot. He and Gary Cooper often played that sort of a character in movies. Especially when they were younger. And in this film, you know, he's given that role, and it's very, it's perfect casting. Perfect casting. Because the role requires that he be the as innocent as possible, while everyone around him accuses him of a crime. Uh, you know, he, he's taken, he's arrested, uh, you know, he, he goes through the system... And he, he basically, every step of the way, I didn't do it. I didn't do it, but I'm here, I'm helping, I'm willing to, you know, clear my name. And then every step of the way, a little, you know, these little moments start happening where it's like, well, did he do it? Uh, you know, that's, that's big coincidence or, you know, that's, it's, it's very frustrating uh, for him as a character and, Yet we're watching this and say, and thinking, you know, well, he didn't do it, but each new coincidence, each new moment that changes things, you start to believe, oh, there's a chance. There's there's a chance, right? It's it's there's a chance. And it's a Hitchcock film. But it's not really suspenseful, right? It's not exactly a suspense movie. It's a drama, much more so. And you see the longer the process takes, the deeper Fonda gets into this circumstance and into this, you know, accusation that, that weighs down on him. The more the people around him start to believe it. You know, like, well, I couldn't possibly, possibly know, you know, have him have the wrong guy, right? They, and they certainly would have, you know, if he was innocent, they would be able to prove it within, you know, a couple of days at least. But instead, we end up with just kind of beating this guy down constantly over and over and over again until, you know, what, what really is left at the end of the day and that's you know that's you know Hitchcock loves this sort of wrong place in the wrong time 
constantly accused of things that aren't true kind of a character uh you know this film had been cited as a huge influence on taxi driver from scorsese you know jean-luc Godard wrote a huge piece of of criticism about it uh you know he was so moved by it and you know we do get to a trial you know we we get to this point where you know we have all these different pieces of evidence that point to him being the culprit we have all these things that have happened that you know leave things up in the air and it's it's really really confusing and and you get to the trial and you wonder okay well we know or we, we one we think we know um what's going on and we think we know who he is and who our main character is but we're not sure and we spend all this time worrying and you know we see his family outside of this and we see rose vera miles character uh, you know go into depression because of how much this is killing her how much this is hurting and you know, it, it it really is frustrating that you can be in such a situation where everything is, is true. And, you, you know, I have this perfect alibi. I could not possibly have done this thing. But then there are just enough circumstances, just enough coincidences, just enough subtle things that are going on at the same time where you don't know for sure. And Hitchcock you know plays this beautifully brilliantly perfectly and and it really all comes together at the end and you know it's not a big bombastic movie you know he wasn't he didn't make that kind of stuff you know this is a movie that you know just just goes to the place it needs to and not dies but you know settles there and it makes sense and it feels right and i i loved that i i really appreciated and embraced that element of the movie I'm a big fan. I love Hitchcock. I think The Wrong Man is great. Uh, a great, great film. And definitely worth seeking out if you've never seen it. Definitely worth checking out. Um, fantastic performance by Henry Fonda. Absolutely fantastic. And that's that's it. Those are the top ten. That's the top ten of September. I'll run down the list one more time for you guys. On My Skin, number 10. Number 9, The Man from Earth. Number 8, Bringing Out the Dead. Number 7, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. Number 6, Nanette. Number 5, Polytechnic. Number 4, Support the Girls. Number 3, Mandy. Number 2, We the Animals. And number 1, The Wrong Man. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I really do appreciate it. It means a lot to me. And uh, that's it. Uh, I'll now hand things over uh, to Meg Berquist with the outro. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to listen to more episodes, you can find this podcast at circleoffilm.com or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. If you'd like to follow Ryan on Twitter, you can find him at circleoffilm or contact him through email at circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash circleoffilm for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you again for listening, and have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same good night.
I know she'll never leave me Even as she fades 